Vincent Van Gogh, Marie Curie, Tears for Fears, Margaret Hamilton, and until recently, Alexander Hamilton. There are some artists and thinkers that are highly underappreciated in their times, even some works of art, actually most works of art. I can think of no better film to submit to a cultural reconsideration than today's film. It has comedy, family drama, exquisite performances, masterful writing, seamless direction, and a heart large enough to make you want to call your family members you might not be getting along with particularly well and say, you know what, I love you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we talk about this Thomas Bazooka 2005 masterpiece, The Family Stone. making this mistake and I won't be here I only want him to be happy he'll be fine we all will no matter Christmas season is here. It's December and and let's let's bring out some cheer. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Did you write that yourself? Um yeah, it was handed to me by this elf. Oh, you have another Hello, Mr. Elf. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'll ask Ryan. Ryan, what's your favorite thing about the holidays? <laughs> it's like uh Oprah's favorite things. This year some of my favorite things are Christmas music. What's your favorite Christmas song? Um, that Mariah Carey one. Really? Yeah, I don't care who knows it. Can you sing a little bit for us? Uh, no. All I want for Christmas is you. Is the one you're thinking of? Yeah. And uh, are you doing? I will always love you. No, by Whitney Houston. I'm the background singer. And I, if you put here, put Mariah Carey in front of me. And I'm just going to be the background vocals. And I... 
Ryan's holding his headphones like yeah. he's a pop star. It's really cool. If you were on stage and you were a singer, you were a pop sensation, would you have one of those side ear headphones that goes like from your ear to your mouth? Or would you have a microphone that you held in your hand? Like what, what's your preferred style of bouncing around? Or would you be like tethered with, you know, the microphone stand that you kind of dance and make love with, mm. but you never move it? So the Aerosmith style is the stand. Right, where they carry it around with them. And you have scarves. Yeah. And there's something so <laughs> powerful about, is it Steven Tyler or the yeah. other guy? Just oh. Joe Perry's the other guy. Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler is the singer. Brings it with him and it feels like more powerful that way. Do you think he has like a whole, he has a closet somewhere with a collection of mic stands and he's like, which one will I bring to the concert tonight? So in the cinematic universe of Aerosmith, there's a Wayne's World what? sketch that answers the, your question. Oh, okay. There's a Wayne's World where Tom Hanks plays uh, his cousin, uh, Aerosmith, Aerosmith's cousin, just the band. <laughs> okay. And he's the stage like hand. hand, and he's in charge of the scarves. So it's Tom Hanks who's making this, these decisions. So you're saying he's probably in charge of the stand as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. He's like caddying. <laughs> yeah. backstage he's like mm, i think he's gonna need a seven stand mm -hmm. right now but next time you listen to aerosmith just remember tom hanks is with them bye take the stand mm -hmm. <laughs> uh hey everybody welcome to a gentleman's guide to rom-coms my name is kelly mccurlis and as always with me is my co-host mariah carey <laughs> um, aka ryan graves mariah mariah graves Mar no, I want to be a Carrie. Mariah Carey. <laughs> what movie are we here to talk about? The Family Stone. Three I didn't mean to sound so sad on that last word. No, it's funny. My, if my brother ever listens to this, he's going to love it. Everybody out there has probably had to sit through a rendition of Stone Soup, the play for toddlers. No. Stone Soup? You don't know Stone Soup? Enlighten me. It's based on a children's book, and it's basically like... <sighs> I'm going to butcher it, but basically... A town does or doesn't have enough ingredients for soup, but then there's like this these imagine they collect stones, three big stones. Anyway, there's a point in the musical where like these three people say three big, and then one person says stones. Stones. And that was Cody's job in the play. And so we always make fun of him and go, stones. <laughs> I can't imagine uh, Cody, Cody in a musical. Neither can he. Don't worry about okay. it. I, okay. I think he wants to forget it. Cool. And that was in first grade. Wow. The poor guy's scarred. Yeah. So it's Family Stone. Yeah. Family Stone. 2006's Family Stone? Five? 2005, 2006. Directed by some guy. Tom Bazooka. Bazooka? Well, I think it's it's probably Bazucha or something. I think it's spelled Bazucha, but if his name is is pronounced Tom Bazooka, he wins. Yeah. That sounds like a name from Parks and Rec. Like, <laughs> hi, I'm Tom Bazooka. And he hasn't done much. I've been looking at his filmography. I'm like, give me more. And he, okay, he, okay, he always writes and directs. Everything he's written, he's directed. Uh, he's done another Christmas movie with Diane Keaton, uh, Love the Coopers. That was him? Yeah. I don't know if that was him. I'll fact check you. I'm going to fact check myself right now. Okay. Well, never mind. It was Michael London who was producing this movie. Aha! <laughs> but uh, he also did Monte Carlo with uh, Selena Gomez. Yeah. So swing and a miss there. <laughs> Sorry, Selena Gomez. Let's just not talk about any other one of his films right now. Well, he doesn't have many other films. Yeah. That's the thing is that it's kind of like... 
This is such a... And you bring this up because this movie is so good. It's so good. Like, right off the top. You Kelly would, and I just love this movie. You would think that the person who made The Family Stone would have an Oscar somewhere sitting in their house on their mantelpiece this Christmas. Or just a lot of like a prolific career. Yeah. Done something, directed some television maybe, but no, this is like the only thing this guy is actually known known for. He just did a new movie with Kevin Costner. Oh, it's coming out this year, right? It came out a couple months ago, which Mm. in this day and age is uh, (laughs) not not big. Robin and I talked about this movie for too long after we finished watching it, just because it's one of our favorite Christmas movies. And we kept coming down to the point of this movie is so real. Yeah. Like everything about each one of these characters feels so not only well articulated, but unique and like a, a, a whole it is, they are all ingredients to this whole, but they are all, um, equal to the whole as well. Yep. Yeah. So before we get ahead of ourselves, let's get into what this movie's about. So do you want do you want me to tell a story? Do you um, want let to me tell? open my big leather book? Okay. <clears throat> God, I really need to oil this book. Mm, yeah. Um, let me tell you a story. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. Once upon a time... No, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Basically, this movie is super interesting because it starts off with... I wouldn't say are two protagonists because everybody in this movie feels kind of like a protagonist. It starts off with our procatalysts. Right. So you got Dermot Mulroney. Wait, wait. I don't think you heard me. Procatalysts. Oh. Do you just like my portmanteau? Sorry, the button's not working. It's a laugh track. I Hold on. Sorry. It's not working. Oh, try it one more time. <laughs> studio thanks <laughs> no, good job. um pro catalysts um dermot mulroney who plays everett who is the son in this the family stone the family's last name is stone i'm sorry i just love that dermot plays everett that just is like well he's we've got a pretentious actor's name and we've got a pretentious protagonist's name so i guess they'll fit robin and i are attempting to get pregnant right now and there's <laughs> a way to say that and we were like just talking about names the other day and Dermot is Dermot. not high on the list. Dermot the frog. Um, Gosh, Dermot. But we're introduced to these two characters that definitely feel like they have the most stakes. And that's kind of why we're introduced to them is they're dating Dermot Mulroney, who is Everett and um, Sarah, Jessica Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker, who plays uh, also pretentious character name. Um Shoot, I was so impressed with myself that I remembered it once. Meredith. Meredith. Whose last name is Morton. And so I like that we have the Stones and the Mortons because it's kind of like salt. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's probably unintentional, but I read into it. Yeah. And they're shopping at a store for Christmas presents for Everett's family. And she's on the phone the whole time and he's wanting to be part of this experience. And he does this thing that all of us have wanted to do to either a significant other at some point in our life or just a friend who's just on their phone, not being in the moment. 
And he grabs her phone as she's talking on it while they're trying to check out. And he just shuts it. Mm -hmm. And then he holds her and he's like, be in this moment with me. And I like how she doesn't get mad. She's just like, oh, okay. Uh, Good call. Yes, I'll stop now. Yeah. It's almost like it's almost she's shamed into it because it doesn't seem like something she's excited about. But it's also not something she can be like, hey. Yeah. But another character might have done that. But Meredith is so proper and wanting to be proper that she's like, oh, 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 okay, okay. It's a joke from sitcom that any other sitcom you would just uh, exaggerate how like whatever the character is, like if they're finicky or if they're like really uptight, you can just like use that as an explosive uptight moment. But instead, it's like. Oh, okay, she, or, she's got some range. Or if you had a Joey and a Rachel dating each other, like Joey could be so annoyed with like Rachel's job or like Rachel doing X and she'd be like, hey. Yeah. But in this one, it really just kind of immediately shows their dynamic where she she lives in this world where she's attached to, I don't know. Like her, what is her character? She's she's high powered, high career, but extremely insecure and unaware. Her insecurity is um, glossed over by her um, put togetherness, um, the way she dresses, and it's almost is, like an armor, right? Right, and this is why I love the first shot of the movie, the first opening shot. Oh we yeah, see it's a her, long take. We see her hair. It mm-hmm. opens on her hair, which is in this really um, tight bun just it's done up and as Derek Zoolander would say with your complexion you really shouldn't be wearing your hair pulled back that tight what are you talking about it pulls back the skin on your forehead creating a tension which clogs the pores that's why you have some light pattern dryness around your scalp and that's the whole point of this movie is that this character that we meet the first character we meet is her and she's on this high-powered business phone call and Mm -hmm. we're like wow she's really uptight not in like a bitchy way just like she's just she sounds stressed and she sounds just really and it's funny because she's this movie is all about showing yeah right more than anything else like when whenever we're introduced to any of these characters we understand who they are not by somebody telling us about what they're feeling or somebody else being like ah my son or or anything like that we're just understanding who these characters are through their actions and her walk that we kind of follow And the way she's talking on the phone and even the way she holds the phone, everything that Sarah Jessica Parker is doing is like giving us that character. Yeah. And we can tell that she is in need of a lot of character development. Yeah, exactly. And Dermot Mulroney is kind of in a a similar boat where he's he is doing that thing that I actually have a lot of experience with. And it happens when you're in a when you're gosh, I don't want to say this, but like, I'm only going to bring it up since they were, they, they brought it up in the movie. Uh, at one point in time, Sarah Jessica Parker says like, I don't want you staying with me just because you're a good guy who found himself in a situation, but that's almost exactly what is going on. Mm -hmm. And he's, he puts on this lie face where he's like, no, it's great. I want to be with you because that's what he wants to be true. Yeah. And there's so many moments where, Dermot Mulroney, who I don't think is like America's greatest actor or anything like that, but where he takes the time to use his body language to convey that in the most subtle ways. And so anyway, I know we're jumping ahead and into our characters, but we just meet them and then we're launched into like, like Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. So, um, interesting fact about this title song, uh, 
or not the song, but the sequence, like we have kind of a, a bunch of paintings as title cards, which I think Christmas movies are the movies where you should do title cards and sequences like this because Mm -hmm. Christmas and holiday films, they feel like such an odd tradition, especially for America where it's like, we're going to make this year's holiday film. Yeah. And in so far as you're bringing this tradition along with you as a culture, you're like, let's dip our toes into past movies and do the same things that those movies did. And this sequence opens in a very similar way as meet me in St. Louis. Yeah. Which is one of Thomas Bazooka's favorite movie, which we'll get into mm-hmm. a little bit later on. Yeah. And I do like uh, what Four Christmases tried to do last week is that they did a like Electronica Christmas song to get us into the movie. I'm like, okay, I could, I could go for this vibe. But then it went to their really stupid date scene. I was like, never mind. Yeah. I think that was a, a portentative of things to come. <laughs> yeah. But this is classy. Rat Pack Christmas. It is classy. classy note. It's classy. And but. I'd have to say just watching this first scene that we get and then moving into the stone family that well, and moving into the credits, I, I, the first time I watched this, I didn't have a bunch of confidence in it going in because I was like, well, these two people aren't people that seem to have a lot of chemistry. Right. And they're setting it up as that. Right. Yeah. And then you're right. We move into the stone family. Let's introduce the stone family. Well, let me zoom out and then we can zoom in because I feel like we haven't really gotten the concept of the film yet. Um, let's just introduce the base concept of what this movie is. It's it's a Christmas reunion film. It's all these immediate family members coming home to the Stone family for right. Christmas. But it's not like they haven't seen each other no, for a but while. It, but but you're that's right. our that's that's the, the backdrop premise. of mm-hmm. the film is that we're seeing Christmas weekend with the Stone family. And Everett is bringing Meredith to meet the rest of the family. And that is the premise. And that's the whole thing that gets us started is the family doesn't know how to feel about um Everett's girlfriend. Right. I'd have to say it's a really it's a really standard premise, right, for this genre because it's um, it's kind of like a meet the parents situation where these two people would probably be fine being in a relationship if they weren't put through the test that is getting to know the family. Yeah, which is a, a truth universally acknowledged. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. <laughs> and then we get into the family. And the first person that we meet, because it jumps straight from the credits sequence to Diane Keaton who is sitting in a chair, alone and quiet, holding a Christmas ornament. And that's going to be important later, Mm -hmm. that Christmas ornament, because this movie cares about every single one of its moving parts. And this movie is such a a whiplash that you don't get hurt during, because we go from that store where it's just like, like, this couple is here, but it's kind of played for laughs. And then we get into this moment where Diane Keaton is obviously feeling big feelings, but we don't know what. And so a mystery is also afoot. Yeah, it's a very ominous place to start in a studio Christmas rom-com. Right. But they gloss over it. And I think that's part of what this movie does magically is immediately when the family comes home, Diane Keaton is up. And the first people that show up are Thad and Patrick, Mm -hmm. um, who is her son and his husband. And the way that those characters are introduced when she meets them in the kitchen is... It's so amazing because at at first, like you could see both of them and be like, like, you're like, oh, yeah, they're dating. But with how they both come into the kitchen and how she greets both of them, you get to kind of suss out like which one of them is not only her son, but like what kind of relationship they have. Well, it's a little easy to figure out which one's son. No, because we haven't been introduced to the husband yet. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And I, I just the poster is glued <laughs> to my eyes, so I'm sure. like, Mr. Incredible's coming down. <laughs> He's on his way. Where are the kids? Um, Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson, who is great. He shows my name, Kelly, in this movie. And so you have Kelly and Sybil and um, and Thad and Patrick. And Thad's, um, so Thad's deaf. Thad's deaf, and which which they show through not only the um, the sign language that they do, but also there's this very deft camera move where he turns around and faces just away from the camera so that you get his hearing aid that's in his left oh, ear. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it's just little moments like this where this film's like, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to show you. And, and there's this great shot um, when Craig T. Nelson, Mr. Incredible, uh, he's Mr. Incredible in this movie. He is, yeah. Uh, he comes down <laughs> and... Thad is kneeling, putting something in the fridge, uh-huh. and uh, Kelly just goes up to him behind him. And if it's any other person who we know is not deaf, we would be like, "Hey, Thad!" Uh-huh. But <laughs> of course, his dad's not going to do that. And it's just like this is such an obvious detail, but I feel like a stupider film would have not taken this seriously. But Kelly gently grabs his shoulders, not to startle him, but be like hey hello like that's uh-huh. how he's saying hi to his son and it's just so warm and so informed and there's just something that's like it looks like craig t nelson has just been this character his whole life right and and it feels like these characters have known each other their whole lives like the way he kisses his son is one of the most beautiful heartwarming things which i feel like we need more of in movies yeah if we're setting a good example yeah uh, especially for characters like this it's just it's so beautiful and like Patrick and Sybil have like this fun like mom uh son-in-law relationship yeah. and uh, like you you can already tell from this moment we have a family. Yeah, just a from good family. just from these four and we haven't even introduced everyone. We've introduced just a couple characters. I know. I'm getting goosebumps right now. Um you just get that it's a good fam. And then we're introduced to Amy, who is Rachel McAdams, not Amy Adams. No. <laughs> She like the same way they introduce her is like she's wearing an NPR bag and she's bringing home laundry. And so you kind of get who she is immediately by the way she drops things like Rachel McAdams kills it in this role. Yeah. Is she supposed to be? Oh, I want to late college right after college. I think maybe having just graduated recently. She's definitely the youngest. I'm going to say the the other two actors that played Thad and uh, Patrick as Tyrone Giordano and Brian White. They they just like they're not as there's like three or four actors in this film that aren't as popular as like this huge star studded cast. But I want to make sure to cut like call them out just because Everybody does such a fantastic job in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Everyone brings it. Mm-hmm. So Rachel McAdams arrives in her shitty car with her laundry, yeah. and she's dressed in you know whatever clothes. She she feels care. very much like Sybil, right? Yeah, like yeah. she feels like a, a miniature, more fiery, less matriarchal at the moment, Sybil. And I think persona wise, I don't see Rachel McAdams becoming the next Diane Keaton, but they are somehow cousin to each other. Well, maybe she could. We'll wait till we get to the end of the movie, but Robin and I had a talk about that last night. Like, is her character arc in this becoming? Oh. Um, and like, would we want to see a sequel 20 years later with her as matriarch? I would watch the sequel with any of these characters. Yeah. So uh, the next character that shows up is... Pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Susanna. 
who's um, pregnant. Who's who's very pregnant. Um, and With, she also has a daughter, um, S- Elizabeth. Yeah. They they show up and she's great. She's just kind of very sweet. She's the she's obviously the dependable one. Like her and Thad are the most like probably consistent dependable children. Yeah. Um, and her her character throughout the movie probably has the least gravity on the story but still has her character fleshed out for us yeah so no one goes undeveloped but some characters have less importance to the story they just have less drama going on yeah like i i wonder if in earlier versions of this script like she has a husband who's not there and my first time like he's like going to show up on christmas and my first time watching this movie i was like are they gonna do a thing where Susanna is like having a hard time with her husband and that's why he's not here and she's trying to convince him to come for Christmas. Right. But I I like that they don't do that just because it's like one side of the family that's just not dealing with any drama this yeah, Christmas. Yeah, and that's what's realistic about it is that it's not like every Christmas everyone has some kind of existential crisis. Right. It's like there's an existential crisis in the family and everyone plays their part in it. Right. Then Everett, Everett and, and Meredith. Meredith show up. And when they show up, like we've, we've already gotten that Amy... Um, has met Meredith before and thinks that she sucks super bad. So, you had dinner with them? So, she is a total phony. She's completely uptight. She dragged us to this friggin' stiff restaurant. She talked the entire time. I mean, oh, you just wait. What? She's got this incredibly grotesque throat-clearing tick. It's like, <clears throat> It's like she's digging for clams. We get a car ride with Meredith and Everett where Meredith is really nervous and Everett's like, no, it's going to be fine. No worries. I'm Dermot Mulroney. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the first line that Sybil gives to Meredith when she meets her on the stairs is Meredith shakes her hand and very formally because Meredith is like we get that this family is just filled with like life and camaraderie and closeness. Like the, there, there is very little formality. And Sybil, like, straight-laced, or Meredith straight-laced, reaches out, shakes Sybil's hand, and says, Hello. You have a lovely home. All the better to entertain you, my dear. All the better to entertain you. Which sets her up to be this big bad wolf character to Meredith and makes her so much more intimidating. That's so good. And, like, Diane Keaton is one of those characters that can pull off that like she has the charisma to pull off a line like that that is scary, but you're still like, but I still like you more. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Craig T. Nelson greets her outside before then. And he just, <laughs> she shoves her arm out for a handshake, like a, like making distance between them. Yeah. And like Kelly's she's going to stab through him. <laughs> right. And Kelly's just like, no, nah, I'm going to hug you. I'm just not just her. because his name is Kelly, but it me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like when Kelly's that age, that is specifically a handbook of how will Kelly handle certain social interactions. And if he's greeted by a girl like this, he's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to hug you. And not out, not out everywhere. If we're on her turf, fine. But if you're, if you're coming to my house for Christmas, I'm probably going to hug you and I'm sorry. And it's Christmas. Like, yeah, like you are, you've been dating him for, they've been together. What? Three years? No, it couldn't be three years. No, I think it was like several months. Seven. Okay, yeah. But she's coming home to meet the family. There is Christmas for Christmas. Like that that means to be warm to one another. Right. Yeah. And then Luke Wilson comes in, and Luke Wilson is kind of the Tyrion Lannister of this world. That's what I do. I drink 
and I know things. Um, where because he, he yes, sees in the, a world where there's not so much murder, he, he is the Tyrion. Well, he I shakes mean, things up, and he likes to read. No, I don't think this is holding water. He does like to read. Yeah. Does he? Uh huh. I think he likes um, to get stoned. What does he read? He reads nothing. No, no, he's reading a book at one point in time. Good for him. Anyway, the the whole reason I bring that up is just because he is. He is this kind of the wisest one in the house. But no one takes him seriously. Yeah. Nobody takes him like as serious as they should. Right. And and it's it's not that like he's sm- like wiser or smarter than Sybil or Kelly maybe, but he just he could give a fuck, but in that way is kind of the best mm-hmm. because he cares. He still cares, but he doesn't he's got no ego. Yeah. Yeah, he's just a really good character. Super laid back, super chill. So here we are. We have this setup, and the movie is too complicated to really go bit by bit because it's all about how character dynamics and relationships change throughout this movie. But we have this setup where, I guess in addition, we should say that Meredith says, no, I'm not going to sleep with Everett. In his room. In his room. So the first conflict of many conflicts is that means Rachel McAdams has to sleep on the couch so that Meredith will sleep in Rachel McAdams' room. And so that immediately starts a tiff between those two, Rachel McAdams and Meredith. And Rachel McAdams is an asshole. But yeah, at the same time, we can kind of be like, well, you brought this on yourself. Yeah. Rachel McAdams really goes right up to the line of being an unlikable character, but she's But she's still good. She never goes past it where you're like, you're being, I know, I know, I know, I know (laughs) you're right, but you just got to play nice, Rachel McAdams. And so everything is just so, I don't know, pitch perfect. Pitch perfect is a good word. Like when Amy's cleaning out her room with Sybil in there and, um, you know, Meredith is equivocating and being like, I don't want to put you out. Sorry, but she's still putting her out. Right. She gets a phone call from her sister and she just sits there and waits for them to leave. And Sybil's like, uh, oh, 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 okay. Oh. Well, I guess we'll go. <laughs> and it, she doesn't say what she wants or needs. She just expects people to follow a protocol that she has set for a her. A different protocol. Right. Like they're going off of different rules set. And she's, her idea of family Christmas is far more conservative. It is conservative, structured, reserved. Reserved. Yeah. Re- reserved. Baptist. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say Baptist is reserved, <laughs> but when, when Amy leaves the room, she just takes her absolute time. And when like this movie, I'd say one, one thing that surprises me about why Tom Bazooka hasn't directed more films is he gets something that's very important for all the filmmakers out there. If you're listening, do this more often reaction shots, like basically during that scene when Sybil is leaving, she like gives Amy a look and she's like, come on, get out of there. And Amy gives a, I'm coming. And we get her reaction to that shot. And so much throughout this movie is we're trying to understand exactly how each of these characters feel about that particular situation. And And we we understand. Her face is like, I'm coming, but also don't you see what I mean? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. There's so much going on and you have expert actors in this film. So that makes it easier. Yeah, and so that starts us off. I mean, that's the story that we kind of camp out in and things kind of proceed. And I I want to kind of like table it because there's lots more plot stuff to talk about, but yeah. I want to get to other things. Yeah. I think we should get to the the main 
dramatic subplot. Sure. So um, all ye who have entered, um, spoilers are now unleashed. Yeah, really. Please stop watching or listening to this, and we won't get hurt. No, really, go, go watch, watch this movie. movie. I do not think that, that is funny. Jinx, buy me a coke. Do you think? Hey, sidebar. Yeah. Do they? Mm. Do you think how you have like podcasts? Do they have like podcasts? Is that what they call stoner podcasts? Yeah. Well, they should. Are you high right now? No, because <laughs> that just, sounds like a high idea. I've never imbibed. Imbibed. That's not the right word. Imbobed. Imbobed. Coked. Up. <laughs> And I just don't know. I'm sure there's a bunch of podcasts about about it. Sure. Like, I mean, the just I mean, thinking of how many different ways you can make a marijuana like leaf logo. Yeah. Like, I mean, it look great. We should just start one just because it'd be easy on the marketing side of things. Who's the Cheech and Chong of today? Oh, uh, that would be Seth Rogen and... His friends. His if friends. Seth Rogen and his friends don't have a podcast, then what are they doing? Yeah. Yeah. Get out there, guys. Like, what are you doing with your lives? Acting? <laughs> Stop. Become become podcasters. Thank you. Anyways, back to the <clears> film. <throat> All right. Sidebar <laughs> over. Sidebar. Close. Speaking of sidebar, maple bar sounds good. I do sound high. Okay. You are high. Uh, but you're not. Um, the- yeah. Mom, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. Hi. Are you? Are you high? The subplot to this film, the main subplot that, I don't know, is bringing the film gravitas is that we learn eventually, it's not, it's pretty much halfway we learn that Diane Keaton's character is dying right. of cancer. And it's not, it's not soap opera. It's not, um, it's not. It's not melodrama. It's not Aristotelian Greek tragedy. It's just this character is dying and that's what's going on. And you get it through all these different interactions where um, at one point in time, like I said, we find Diane Keaton alone and thinking. At one point in time, her daughter Susanna, and this is one of the sweeter moments of the movie, goes up to her bedroom because she knows that her mom is sick. Like I think Kelly tells her like uh, she's not feeling very good or Amy does. And Susanna goes up there and she just lays down in bed with her mom and holds her. And then her mom turns around and the way Diane Keaton looks at her at first, I was like, wow, that's a really intimate look as for one actor to give another one. It, it it almost felt like a lover. Right. And, but it's just like when, when you understand the context later on that Diane Keaton is dying, she's like looking at all of her children as if it could possibly be the last time. Yeah. At the same time, that mixed with when she first like sees Luke Wilson, she's like, no getting high this year, buddy. And she yeah. can like give a directive that is like, oh, she means this. And then she like changes into a smile and like hugs him. And you're like, holy crap. It's just such a real family. The This mom who is dying and has like she just wants to have seemingly a good Christmas with her family. And that's kind of what kelly does like they all take a picture on the stairs and i wonder if they do that every year or he was making sure that they had a a picture of this moment Mm. and it doesn't see uh, a more immature filmmaker would have harped on something like that of like making it what's the word um when you're making something unnecessarily emotional when you're saccharine um i guess melodramatic is a word that i can use it's not technically correct but making it sappier than it needs to be sure um he it keeps up as a comedy for most of the time but it it doesn't 
it doesn't swerve into drama. It just slows down and gets into drama and then it speeds back up and ramps back up into the comedy because it doesn't want to like it doesn't want to harsh the vibe yeah and i would say this movie is very humorous i'd say it doesn't have a lot of comedic moments it has some for sure but like most of what's funny about luke wilson is just like (laughs) i guess one moment of comedy is he from the very beginning you understand that luke wilson has it hot for meredith and he like references the fact that she looks like his second grade teacher who he also had a crush on (laughs) when she decides to leave which happens in the beginning of this movie uh, she is waiting in the car because she's going to go stay at the hotel and he walks out to the car with like just a big I, I don't know another way to say this but like his his the outline of his d is showing in his sweatpants yeah and the way he like kind of like leans back and thrusts <laughs> to the car and her like very nervously looking like down and up and down and up and down and up a lesser movie would have shot that for like goo goo gaga laughs but for some reason even that comedy seemed mature yeah it's very balanced it's yeah it's it's just kind of humor for grown-ups and not it's not the um teenager kind of it's not the uh it's not knocked up humor or there's something about Mary humor. It's it's somehow a sex joke in a dignified um, grown up film. Right. Because because of how like, again, I think it comes down to her reaction because they like stop focusing on it after a second and focus on her reaction. And then it like completely flips a switch and goes from comedy to like character when he's like, I had a dream about you last night. What a day. Well, thank you. Yeah, I had a dream about you last night. What? Yeah, I, I did. I ended up having a dream about you. What, what was I doing? Well, let's go. And then you see her interest in him, and the dynamic is great. But let's get back to what you were talking about before. And the, the time that we actually get it illustrated uh, that she has cancer and has had cancer in the past and presumably it went into remission and then now has come back with a fury um, is when Craig T. Nelson and Luke Wilson go get high out on the football field in the snow. So were those pot brownies? N- no, I think because um, they were smoking. So I assume they were smoking and just eating brownies. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're like, Ryan, for one, I couldn't tell. <laughs> Because they're not like green when they're filled with. Pot. No, I know. I'm saying was Luke Wilson smoking, and Craig T. Nelson's like, "No, I'm going to eat my pot." Like he, that's how I'm going to do it. No, he he offers those brownies to a lot of people in the house. Yeah. So if, if so, he was dosing people. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, I just figured that was his style. Um, he could be. I mean, he's coach. Yeah. Um, this movie is a is about a lot of things, and we'll really get into like what it's saying about love and closeness and romance but this movie shows familial love as close to romance as it as it can be without like getting weird just uh i I guess intimate is the word i want to use because when they're sitting there talking about her her cancer and luke wilson like asks kelly to be frank with him um he like the way that he shoots this is from like right over the character's shoulders, just 
really, really close in on them. And it's not until Luke Wilson really starts like crying. Do we get back to the front of them? Yeah. And like, it's, it's them kind of talking about something that's hidden. And then the camera sweeps around and like looks at them when the truth is revealed to both us and him. And it's, I don't know. It's effective. There's, to say the least. So there's a director's trick. Next time you're watching a movie, um, there's this trick that directors pull, and it's it's very subtle, but it's pretty much every director knows this intuitively or, or not, that the way that you frame a person's face, the more direct your camera is on their face, the more intimate it becomes. And the most intimate you can be is a camera right on someone's eyes where it's just totally direct on you. And I feel like he's just playing with this kind of like 360 degrees angle of like starting the conversation behind their shoulders. And as we get closer to the truth and get closer to the emotions, we get closer to their faces. Yeah. And it's not super obvious. It's just, it's just informed. It's just motivated that the camera has to be where it is for the things that they're talking about. Yeah. And it's funny because they break the line and it's not even noticeable. No, it's just correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like, I, I'm watching this and I'm, it, this is a Christmas rom-com guys. And I'm thinking about like Ozu shots. Yeah. Like m- Japanese master filmmakers from like a hundred years ago. And I just, I don't get it on IMDb. It's got a 6.3. I don't and get I'm it just either. Like, what? I think, I think this is what happened. I think the movie got marketed as a screwball comedy. Yeah. Did you watch the trailer? I didn't watch the trailer. It's, it, really it's it's a comedy about dysfunction no no (laughs) and roger ebert's review is three stars and he's like it's good it's not as good as june bug that came out a few months ago with amy adams but it's good i mean it's a screwball comedy i'm like i don't think you understand what you just watched no i I really either i really think this film is more deserving of a reassessment from the critical community Mm -hmm. more than any film in the past 20 years this reminds me of like there was there was a reckoning that we did in like 2013 to 2015 where we went back and watched all of the the stuff that happened during the writer's strike. Oh yeah. And and like just reassessing it and being like let's let's take these and say let's give them a handicap for a second and then like also take like, a, another hard look at them. Star Trek is probably the most famous of that era because right. it's just kind of like this movie doesn't make sense and JJ Abrams is like look we couldn't work on the script. I had to shoot what we had. Give me a break. We're like, I don't know, J.J. Abrams. Go shoot a Star Wars. <laughs> this is Who's this weird executive producer that you've just created? <laughs> I don't know. Um, this is how they are. Haven't you met a executive producers? This is how they go. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> what I feel like we need to do is, and maybe what we're doing with this podcast is we're, we're doing a reassessment, right? Yeah. And this movie, I don't necessarily need to reassess because I've, I've probably seen it five times now and it's, it blew my socks off the first time. I, I had like low, low expectations watching it the first time. Yeah. And you showed this to me either last year or a couple of years ago. Right. And I was like, the family stone, um, I guess we'll check it out. It but doesn't look good. It's a, it's like kind of the, it looks po- really generic. Yeah. It looks so generic. The poster is um, basically a, a hand flipping you off, but using the ring finger with the family stone on it. And Which, it's white, it's high key lighting. But that's not, that's, that, I guess that gets at Sybil a little bit, but that's just not, it doesn't really get at who she is. It really doesn't. And and this movie, like we, we've talked so little about Meredith, I guess, 
even though she's one of the main characters. But like I said, it's about all of them. And what this is, is a, a family dramedy. Yeah. That is centered around the idea that like, and Roger Ebert talks about this in his review, actually. Um, it reminds us like why community in like the time around Christmas is important. Yeah. He's like, it's not doing anything special, but it's doing that well. I think it's both doing that well and doing something special. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll keep talking about the movie, but right off the bat, we do want to say this movie should be in the class of our, of so far of what we've canonized every film we've canonized so far. If we've made an episode about it, we've canonized it and put it in some kind of category. Sure. But the category this goes in is the before sunrise broke back mountain. Yeah. This um, is a great film. It's just, it hits all the, all the marks. You know, I was thinking about this. Um, like there, there are years where I want to go back and say, like do our Oscars where, where we just reassess all the movies that were made that year, having like seen how they aged and really going back over them, not talking about like, which one was exciting that year. This movie deserves best writing. Yeah. Yeah. Like hands down, I don't know what else came out in 2005, but this this movie this movie is one of the best and i it, it's hard saying this cuz i just watched it and you know you always come off a high off of a movie that you really like are you are you high but i really truly believe that this is one of the better written movies yeah and better directed and um better edited too just yeah. it doesn't drag it has so many characters and it doesn't feel like things are forced it just feels very natural so let's let's fast forward a little bit in our plot, okay? Yeah. Amy Adams, or sorry, I knew this was going to happen. Amy, Rachel McAdams, is especially giving uh, Meredith a bunch of crap, and she's making it harder for her and kind of like pulling at her, her I, I, I don't want to call it anything other than like, I guess, obliviousness conserve like like just stuck upness yeah like because at one point in time she they're playing charades and meredith like needs to get them to play say the word black and she kind of doesn't almost point at uh, patrick's character it's so brilliantly done because um patrick is like telling her like it's okay yeah yeah. you can keep doing it and she points at him as if her gesture was a like thanks for helping me. But she, at the same time, was getting into the fourth word, which was black. Uh Uh-huh. And she points at the only black character in this film universe. Right. Which, you know, would have been a faux pas anyway and would have sucked. But then Amy, Amy points it out and is like, I can't believe you're doing that. And it's just like, Meredith, it's, it's a magic trick that this movie pulls that we like Meredith by the end because she... She is, she's boring throughout this first day with the family. She does stuff like that. And then the dinner table, which we'll get to in a bit. Yeah. Basically, she has a hard enough time that she not only goes to the, um, the inn, but she also invites her sister, Claire Danes, who isn't there until a third of the way through the movie. At least. And that's where our real rom-com begins. Yeah. So that's when Dermot Mulroney meets Claire Danes. Right. And he's like, oh my God. Juliet. All right. Hey, I remember you from that movie with Leo. Are you guys still dating? Oh, wait, no, he died. That's right. right. But so did you. Wait. Wait. <laughs> ghosts? How are you here? Oh, well, Shakespeare. There's ghosts. It's, it's okay. Are we in Hamlet? Is this Hamlet? I never played the Dane. 
oh, and we haven't even talked about the fact that uh, Dermot Mulroney has asked Sybil for the wedding ring. His, the her mother's stone. the family stone, like their last name stone. This is the family stone. Um, he asked her for it, and she's like, "No." Just straight up, no. straight up, no. She's like, "I don't like her." You, I, she, she's just as like that girl and she really like breaks his heart and so we just think she doesn't approve and he's just gonna have to live with it and so their relationship is kind of fractured yeah and so the whole family doesn't approve of meredith because partly because rachel mcadams is really playing up all the faux pas that are happening but they also just get a sense of her being a phony but worse just isn't right for everett as they deem it. And this right. is the most family thing ever of, right. of deciding for another person. You're not good for that person. You're not right for each other. Right. Which is overstepping your bounds. But I would have to say that a lot of times family knows you in a way that you don't even know yourself. And like every once in a while can be like, I don't, I don't get it for good reason. And there's, there's this conversation that Kelly and Sybil have upstairs where he's like what I don't understand is what he sees in her <laughs> see I was on to you Mr. oh so innocent no I don't mean that she's attractive she's intelligent obviously successful she's better mannered than any one of us oh come on give me a break you stick a silver spoon up any monkey's butt it's bound to go please and thank you like big deal she is a fine woman. Oh, so fine. <laughs> she doesn't seem to know or trust herself very well. Thank you, Professor. Which means, I'm afraid, that our Everett may not know himself at all. They all know him very well. Like, this family has... They are very close and tight-knit. Like, when Luke Wilson sees Thad, they both bow to each other and say, Arigato. And it's like they have traditions with each other that are so strong and knowledge of each other. That's so strong that like it just seeps out of the pores of this house. Yeah. And so when Kelly says that, I believe him. Yeah. And the, what I really like about Everett's arc and will and then Claire Danes is important for his arc. What we're starting to understand is that Everett is the responsible one in this entire family. Right. And the entire family is really laid back, but not super laid back, but they err on the laid laid backness. Right. And it's not like he doesn't, but especially when he's with her, he doesn't. But you can tell the life that he's carved out for himself is compensating. Right. Because his family is so uh laissez faire about stuff. He's like, Well, someone needs to take things seriously. And so he just kind of fills that gap. Right. And you- And Meredith represents responsibility that life that he's trying to form that it's not him it's just the the life that he thinks he is supposed to be pursuing which we get in a line from sybil later where she says you need to stop being so perfect i mean she basically makes the point of like it's ruining your life trying to be perfect for everyone and it's not real it's fake yeah it's fake and the the thing he meets claire danes and the thing she brings out of him is she's somebody who is She's a she's a grant writer for um, because because this is a romantic comedy and she needs to have a cool job. Yeah. (laughs) But she's a grant writer for art projects. And um, she talks about like these really moving works of art and how they make her feel so much. And you can tell that Everett is so blocked up and wants to feel 
like she does. And that's part of what attracts him to her. Yeah. And they don't have, I, I wouldn't say that they have like the strongest chemistry of anybody we've seen or anything like that, but I do believe their attraction to each other. Yeah. This is the only aspect of the film that I'm a little let down by. Okay. Is Claire Danes. There's no, it's no one's fault. It's just her character just doesn't feel as electric as all the other characters yeah, in this film. Yeah, I don't think it's the acting. I just think that she's the new one in town and they don't do a lot to illustrate her character. I think by design, she's the most balanced that she's got it together, but she's also not uptight like her sister. And so yeah. she's the most like balanced character and uh-huh. that makes her perfect for Everett because- She's Harry Potter in the first three books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Everett likes- is attracted to stability and you know Meredith is stable in a way because her whole life's pursuit is keeping things together well yeah and Meredith and Everett are very similar right yeah and when when we look at Meredith's character and what she needs she needs somebody that can help her loosen up sometimes yeah and Luke Wilson is perfect for that and Luke Wilson as cool as he is, probably needs some structure in his life, right. which she can give him. And that attraction is so electric for me, where I'm me like, too. I'm they- just so excited for these two to get to know each other and to affect one another. As happy as I am for Dormit Mulroney and kind of Claire Danes, if she was a little bit more of a character by the end, I'm so much happier for Luke Wilson. Yeah, and so I don't... And Meredith. I don't know what they could have changed about Claire Danes to make her more interesting to me. I think she had to be a perfect, balanced medium where she's not... She's she's like the soup. She's not too hot, not too cold, just not too much of anything. Just right. She is just right. And I think I think that's what he... I think that's what Mr. Bazooka is trying to do. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense to me. They have this conversation where... Um, they're out looking for Meredith after the dinner party, which we'll get to in a minute. And she talks about this, this totem pole and how it filled a hole in a man's heart. And you're like, that's Dermot Mulroney. And then he's like, it me. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm like, you're interesting, but I need another 20 minutes getting to know you with Dermot Mulroney to, for me to believe. Let me get into this praise now. Cause I want to talk about what I really like about Dermot Mulroney's character and Dermot Mulroney in this movie. There's a scene where Dermot and uh, Dermot the Frog. I can only hear Dermot the Frog now. <laughs> Gosh, Dermot. It's later in the movie where um, Diane Keaton gets over herself and is like, fine, you can marry Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's still peeved because they were so rude to her. Um, great drama, all that stuff. But then Diane Keaton, that's when she decides to tell him that she's sick. And he knows what that really means i mean he he i think he knows i think he's known this whole time yeah but he gets the confirmation and so the the truth of it sets in and he cries in this scene and there's something so satisfying in his crying scene well because dermot mulroney is never a character you don't see that character and imagine him crying he's so stone he's very well put together and scenes seen everett have to get rocked by this truth and cry and be vulnerable it's so profound as a way that we're connected to everett and we feel the realness of everett but it's also dealing with the persona of dermot mulroney who wouldn't play characters who do this 
Right. Um, he plays cool guy characters. And I think that's kind of the genius of this casting and is like knowing that you have a script where in the end this character is going to cry and having it sneak up on the audience. I love it because when Dermot Moroni shows up in the movie, the connotation in my head, every time he shows up in something, it's always as I'm hot guy who's super put together and who is super intimidating to all romantic rivals. And he always will be the placeholder of every romantic rival I've ever had. I'm just like, fucking that guy. <laughs> I can't compete with that. Simultaneous to that, you go and you turn back and look at Dermot Moroni and then you see the scene where he cries and you're like, oh, I've always just assumed you're this one dimensional thing, but I didn't realize you're a person too. And that's what that's at the heart of this movie. It's looking inside people's hearts not in like a temple of doom kind of way but more so in a like everybody's a human kind of way and that that scene for me was so cathartic for me because it made me think back at all the dermot moronis it's like you were looking at them as these types but you didn't you never looked at them like people (laughs) that they were just other guys it's almost as if movies allow you to broaden your perspectives. Yeah, and it was, of all the scenes, 10,000 times the most powerful out of all the scenes. It was the most affecting to me because Mm. it made me just look at that guy and be like, no, man, you're cool. We're cool. So speaking of affecting scenes, um, I'm going to, I'm going to jump us back a little bit into the plot, okay? Because this happens towards the end, what you're talking about. But um, I'm going to go back to the dinner. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because um, one of the most touching scenes to me is a scene that happens after the dinner, but I I need to get us there. Yeah. We need to talk about the whole thing. They're sitting down to dinner, all of them. um, And everybody's a little bit more interested in Claire Danes because she's a chill hang. Yeah. Um, And they get talking about like Thad and Patrick are thinking about adopting and Claire Danes like asks like, do you care about the race of the baby? Because, um, you know, Thad's white and, uh, Patrick's black. And, you know, at that point in time, like that's something that Meredith is like, don't, what are you doing? And it's like, no, like that's a legitimate concern that is just a question about like, do they prefer anything or not? Yeah. And, um, like the family is like really good and they're like, yeah, no, it's like, we don't care. We just want a nice baby. And it really sets up that Meredith is really concerned with making a mistake. Right. Yeah. And I, I know this from my past experience cause I'm, I'm either really good at communicating or I become lousy at it. And the time I become lousy at it is when I am nervous. Yeah. And if, if I'm nervous about saying the wrong thing, it's like, you know, if, if you're ever in archery, you should always look at where you want to hit. But a lot of the times what happens is you you're worried about not hitting or you're worried about hitting a, another spot. And so you look to that spot and that's exactly where your arrow goes. That's kind of like her in this scene. Wow. That is a perfect metaphor. Thank you. <laughs> um, That's she, she is literally what she does. Yeah. So Sybil makes this uh, <laughs> this really funny joke about how she's like, she's like, you know, I tried to make all of my children gay. And um, everybody's having like the perfect dinner up until this point. And then Meredith says, you don't really want that, do you? And uh, this movie was made in 2005. And so I think that this conversation was extremely prescient then on being like, okay, 
our society has a couple different ways of thinking about this. This way's wrong, and this way is right. Yeah. And I'm I don't generally get on my moral high horse here, but I feel like that was Thomas Bazooka talking directly to America, kind of. And according to the internet, he is openly gay. Oh, well, perfect. Um, I haven't I haven't double checked that because for some reason there's not a lot of like coverage on him, but I saw several sources say that he he is gay. And so there you go. The way that they handle the scene is so tense. Like it's probably the most tense scene in the film where Meredith keeps equivocating. And I think I'll just play it here. I just don't think that any parent would hope for a child to be challenged like that. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear a word you said. Sorry, this isn't coming out right. I just, all I'm trying to say is that I, what I mean to say is life is hard enough as it is, and it just seems to me that you wouldn't want to make it any more difficult for your child. I mean, Patrick, Patrick, you must understand what I'm trying to say, right? What did, what did you say? Oh, well now, boss, I think we have been hit no, 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 I'm sorry, I did not mean that. Honestly, Why I... Why don't you try saying I, what it is you do mean? Everett. All right, that's enough. I'm sorry. Well, that's enough. I just think any parent would want a normal child. Oh! God damn you, okay? Sybil. Don't Sybil me. Just for the child's sake, just to make it easier for the child. That's <laughs> enough! Kelly is is the one who like ends it by slamming his hand on the table. And as we've seen this whole movie, what Kelly's main goal is as a character, as a dramatic character, he's the caretaker. He's the the father figure, but he's there to show love. And so him slamming his hand on the table is is so surprising and you see like once it cuts out to the wide everybody at the table sits back because you know when kelly does that he means it i was thinking about that would my kelly do this yeah i mean if you i guess i guess like here's the thing i i agree with kelly's actions because he he keeps saying that's enough yeah that's enough and he's like it's righteous anger yeah he's it is really righteous anger because he's like trying to give meredith an out he's like you're you're being a little bigoty right now i'm not going to say that out loud i'm just going to say it's okay just just stop stop and we can end this and when he slams his hand down on the table it's voicing everyone's frustration and his loss of patience and see i can't i can't picture you raising your voice to someone and I don't want to be at that dinner because it makes me uncomfortable <laughs> thinking of that happening. But um, I know that you would do the right thing. No, thanks. I I would hope so too. That that you know your confidence in me means that I know I will. There you go. Um, but the other great moment is not just the dad, um, but Sybil. Like because at the end of this, basically, like Meredith hasn't only insulted like Thad. But she's also insulted uh, Patrick because she's like, Patrick, you must understand that you don't want your child to like grow up as a minority, a, a minority. Right. And so Patrick, who um, Brian White, um, he he does a lot of good work in this movie. You'll see him react to things in the background. There's there's one point in time where he tries to hand his keys to Dermot and um 
Claire Danes. Claire Danes snatches him, and if you he's like, if okay. You, well, if you pause it, he he kind of does this, huh? Like he's like, what? What? I wasn't what handing them to lady? you, and uh, so I just want to call him out. But when he says like we've been like hit twice, like it really, it really makes Thad feel bad. And I think not only because, like, like this character dynamic is not only is it insulting to him personally, but he knows how hard like what that means for their family that she thinks this way and then sybil throws a fork at him to get his attention and she's just like you're more normal than everybody else at this table and you see him like smile in appreciation and she checks in again to see if he's okay and then she sighs with like this huge sigh of relief where she's just like okay thank god it's like the best dad move and the best mom move at the same table yeah and there's something the thing about this film is that the family we see on screen, I think most people watching this movie are not in this family, that our families aren't like this. We all just wished our family was more like this because there's versions of this family that we can relate to, but not every single part. Sure. I mean, one thing is they have five kids, right? Yeah. And so like, the bigger your family gets, the more I, – I feel like the more – chance you have to like each of your siblings a lot yeah because like you know each one of them fills a role in your life the the dynamic in this family is the dynamic between my aunts and uncles because there's a bunch of there's there's a bunch bunch of sibling yeah and so that's definitely there it's not there in my immediate family but we get along in different ways but just not in a not in such a great way that they did but like me and my brother, we have a lot in common, but we also fight like the Dickens a lot. And it's like these characters, it's like Everett and um, Luke Wilson. I don't see them. I didn't get a sense of like they had a contentious upbringing together. They seemed pretty chill together. Yeah. So I'm there's something a little I wouldn't I don't know if I'd call it unrealistic, but there's something a little a little idyllic about them. But that's not oh. bad. There's nothing okay. wrong with that. Sure. So it's this this scene. Mm-hmm. I can't have ever seen my family doing this scene for a lot of different reasons, but it's a scene that feels the most unrealistic in a okay way. Do you think it's just because they have all of them in the same place doing the same thing together for the first time? There's so much big love happening that it's a lot to ask of humans to have done. And so from a drama point of view, it feels more truthful than from a realist point of view. But that's sure. okay. That's okay. I, I I buy it. But Yeah, I buy what I'm watching on screen, not in a relatable way, but in a, a aspirational way that like someday I hope to be as righteous as Kelly is. Someday I hope, like Robin and I were just talking about how like this is the fi- the kind of family we'd want to create. Yeah. Um and that's what I mean. I th- it feels a little bit more theoretical than applicable. Right. But that's no knock against the film. Sure. It still feels right and right. honest. So. Yeah, it really does. The reason why I brought up the dinner scene is uh I wanted to get to the have yourself a merry little christmas sequence. Oh. But I had to bring that up because basically it separates everybody. Right. Where Meredith and Luke Wilson like Lee, it's, 
she crashes the car in the front yard and then Luke Wilson goes and gets in the car and takes her to a bar. And then like, and we haven't talked about so much in this movie, but that's fine. And then Claire Danes and Everett go out and look for the two of them. And while all this is going on, we eventually get to a point where Susanna is sitting on the couch watching Meet Me in St. Louis. And this is her scene, like really her, her big scene because Kelly walks in and he's like, what you doing? Ah, oh, she's so peaceful like that. And I always, every time I watch this movie, I think it's Susanna's daughter mm-hmm. because it's really dark, but you don't get until the end of the scene that it's actually Rachel McAdams. And then this montage sequence happens that I think is one of the most beautiful, beautiful sequences in film where she's watching. Oh, by, by the way, Michael Giacchino did the score to this movie. Yeah. Um, everybody out there in Radioland, you'll know him from all the Pixar movies. Um, and Lost. <laughs> and Lost. Um, he recreated the score to Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas note by note mm-hmm. in order to accomplish this scene. And um, you'll you'll hear it kind of blend seamlessly between the movie and the score of the film. And we just watch what everybody is doing during this Christmas night. And I just think... It's so gorgeous, like even even down to the tiny details, like Thad and Patrick are walking back to the hotel and they're signing to each other. Mm -hmm. And Patrick says, isn't the moon beautiful tonight? And Thad says, no, it's you with their sign language. Wait, was that? How did you know that? I looked it up afterwards. I didn't know, but it's there for people. (sighs) And that just makes this movie all the better. I I just my socks were blown um, by how much this movie cares, but let's, let's get to the rom-com part of this, I guess n- now. Do you want to take a break? Yeah, let's then, take a break we'll and we'll get into the rom-com part. Okay. I need some water. Okay. Do you need some water? No, I'm good. So <clears throat> before this amazing scene happens with have yourself a merry little Christmas, we get the couples split off where, uh, Claire Danes and McDermott are talking about totem poles and that's fine and all, but our real focus for this evening is Luke Wilson and Carrie Bradshaw getting drunk. Yeah. On beer, which I don't think Carrie Bradshaw would ever drink. No. No. Carrie Bradshaw, for all of you people out there who haven't seen it, is the main character of Sex and the City, who Jessica Jessica Parker also plays. What what are you? Are you a a, a Carrie? No, you're not a Carrie. What are you? You're a, a Charlotte for sure. I'm a guy not watching that show before. It's a really good show. Is it? Yeah, for sure. You're Charlotte though. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this happens a lot. Welcome to Trope Talk. Yes, this is Trope Talk. It's car talk for rom-coms. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we we have the trope of everything's gotten messy in this rom-com. Where, uh, like, Meredith has basically done something that you would think would be an ender to her viability in this family, right? Like, she's insulted the family. She's kind of homophobic in a roundabout way. I I would just say ignorant. Yeah. Um, And she crashes a car. And Luke Wilson, being the chillest dude in the world, takes her out for a drink and has like a Kimosabe conversation with her where he is being the wise man. And he's like, look, you just gotta, you gotta relax. And 
it's him sherpaing her through the night and trying to help her loosen up. And his his line is, "You have a freak flag, you just don't, don't fly. fly it." And it's such a good line. Mm-hmm. Um, and Luke Wilson obviously always flies his freak flag. And maybe this trope talk isn't about the unwinding, and it's not necessarily about opposites attract, but it's about it's the scene that makes us like her. Right. Okay. It's the turn. It's the pivot. The pivot. Pivot! Where we have this character who has been antagonistic in the film. Mm -hmm. And the film is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. She's a person too. And she really does mean well. And I'd say worse movies never even get to this point. No. Because they don't try to humanize an antagonist in any way. Um, Let's take Maid of Honor, for instance. Maid of Honor kind of does the opposite of this. Where I don't like anyone and I want to go home. Well, no, like the the antagonist to um, our main character is... Kevin McKidd, the greatest character in the movie. Sure. He's perfect. And then at the end, it's like, well, don't love him. And we're like, why not? (laughs) Yeah. And this movie is like, okay, I see you, audience. I know you don't like her for good reason, but... Let me show you who she is when she's not nervous as crap. And I think she kicks the door in with her drunken, I love the gays. I love the gays. It's a trailer moment, like kind of akin to, why can't I have a normal boyfriend? Right. Where she's like, almost like kicking herself for being like, why couldn't I? I mean, at least this is kind of what we're led to believe where, why couldn't she? actually say what she meant um and it's mainly she's like you know your family's not perfect you know they, why did they make it so hard on me yeah if you're if your family was so perfect they wouldn't be giving me such a hard time and i wouldn't be so nervous because of it right she's got a great point right but at the same time she isn't not that person and so it creates a, a fully crafted character who is dynamic and can change and isn't the same thing all the time. And what's great is Luke Wilson sees through all of her veneer, sees through all of the things that she's trying to be and sees right through to the heart of her and just knows that she's still a good person. In spite of all of this um, Tom fuckery, she's still <laughs> a good person. And he's just like, you need to relax because when you do, everyone's going to like you. Right. And it's a magic trick because we don't really know why he can see that. But he he sees it. We don't see it yet. And then when she says, I love the gays and starts getting into unwinding, we start to see it. We yeah, peel we, back the onion. We start to be like, hey, I, I can see liking this person version of you yeah and uh then she meets up uh she meets brad brad who is he's like this time bomb in this movie where he's mentioned in like this like a really early scene in the film as amy's first the guy who popped her cherry yeah and um and that scene it's it's sybil who's talking about this and it's such a like inappropriate thing for a mom to talk to their daughter about in front of someone else uh uh-huh But it just goes to show it's a that's another trope of like inappropriate mom talk, but also shows Sybil is sometimes like gleefully immature, just like Amy is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it gives us a really interesting matriarch who 
knows she should be more behaved, but chooses not to. Well, but doesn't have to be. Yeah. And that's because it's Christmas and you're with your family. And that's informs how Kelly is the nurturing type who's like, okay, mom's, you know, got a little silly, got a little kooky. I'll try and be a little bit more down to earth and be here for you guys. And he's the philosopher. Yeah. Because mom's going to like punch Rachel McAdams in the arms, like, you know, the guy who popped your cherry. And Kelly's the one, he wouldn't, he's not in the scene, but he would be the one who'd be like, just stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's and, not do this to our daughter. She basically invites Ben over for Christmas. Brad. 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 Brad Stevenson? Paul Schneider. Paul Schneider, who plays Mark Brandenowitz? Yeah. Yeah. Brandenowitz. And he, uh, he's just like, he's an EMT. He's a dude. He's like a small town dude. We don't get the best first impression of him because the first frame he enters, he's checking out um, Sarah Jessica Parker's ass. Yeah. And it's just kind of like- more so Dave, his friend. Yeah. But it's just like, okay, some guys are seeing this drunk girl dancing. Uh Okay. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, she's with Luke Wilson. Okay. And then she goes and dances with Brad- and yeah. invites him over, and he's so uncomfortable. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and what we slowly get over the course of this evening, while her and while she unwinds, is that she's this sweet person, kind of underneath, and I believe it. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. She's my favorite character in the film. Really? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Because she is just that nervous she has so much going on um complex wise that she just has to be liked and everything has to go perfectly and that's why their romance with luke wilson is so good is because when you say someone is perfect for someone you you're you think you're saying oh they're compatible but what you're really meaning is they would do good things for you personally. Right. Your relationship with them makes you a better person. And that's why I love Luke Wilson and Sarah Jessica Parker, because he needs structure. But more importantly, she needs to let her freak fa- freak flag fly. Wow, tongue twister. Say freak, that ten times fast. Freak flag fly. And when, like, at one point in time, this is the last thing that you'd expect her to say. They're drunk, and she says, do you know where we might be able to get some pot? <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, what? Like, you would actually want to do that? And it's it's when she doesn't have anybody to impress, and that's why her and Dermot Mulroney are so bad for each other, because all they want to do is the right thing next to each other. And doing the quote-unquote right thing with your partner isn't necessarily wrong, but it's not always the most oddly healthy thing. Because sometimes you just need to have a drink with somebody who's your partner and like let down your guard. And I feel like Dermot Mulroney and her always have some guard up. Yeah, and they wouldn't they wouldn't go out for a drink and relax. And it's so nice. Uh, I just want to brag about my relationship. It's so nice when Theo goes to bed and there's just some nights, it's not often that Sarah and I can just sit on the couch and just be like, <sighs> and just kind of be vulnerable with each other in the sense of we're not going to even try to be a version of ourselves. We're just going to be there out in front of each other. Right. And I think this movie gets at that thing that 
the best of these movies get at, which is that vulnerability that you're talking about. And it's not even, you're not trying to be vulnerable. You just are. Right. Exactly. And that's one thing that he, that Luke Wilson tells her, you need to stop trying Yeah, because we all know that uh, any of us who have ever been super nervous people at any point in our lives where we fuck up the most when we're trying yeah. Like we're trying to make a situation a certain way or we're trying to behave in the, the best way. Even like when I'm recording this podcast, sometimes every once in a while, I'm like, OK, I need to try to be this way. And that's when I feel like I'm doing my worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, like whenever we're we're writing a movie and I'm like, I'm trying to write this genre. It's the worst because you're not making anything original. You're trying to like make this copy that you've seen in your head work. You have to unfocus your eyes as if you're looking at a 3D puzzle. You can only look at it you know, when you stop looking at it. You know it. who does this really well? Patrick Rothfuss. He calls it. You wouldn't know because you haven't read the second I, book. I've read you the haven't first read the second one. Book. I read the first one. It's, it's called Spinning Leaf, and you just unfocus yourself, and you just. Anyway, the this book, is an old argument. The book is The Name of the Wind and A Wise Man's Fear. And Kelly's bummed that I didn't like it. I'm sorry. I gave it a chance. It wasn't for me. It's a fantasy book. You'll probably like it. I'm clearly in the minority no you're not these are very award winning i mean it's a great book book, but it's a divisive book for sure well i will say in in your defense if you're a fantasy fan you have no excuse not to read it yeah you have to read it. it's extremely well written. like it or not you really need to interact with it because it's a 50 50 chance that you're gonna love it because i haven't met someone who loves it it's either they love it or they hate it you like, haven't met, oh, you mean you haven't somebody that likes it? Like, if you yeah. go to Goodreads, it's either four stars or zero stars. <laughs> um, so, you're maybe that's the, what's yeah. the problem with this movie. Maybe it's a 6.3 on IMDb because it's just tens and like twos. Well, and if you came to this movie looking for four Christmases, you're gonna have a terrible time. Yeah, you're like, because it doesn't get zany until the end, close to the end, but it never gets it's it, and it's barely zany, it doesn't even do that. Yeah, it really doesn't. Um, it like okay, uh, we watched uh, Happiest Season, and towards the end of Happiest Season, uh, there's like kind of a fight scene in the hallway and a fight scene out uh, in front of everybody. Yeah. But compared to this movie, that fight scene is so I, I don't want to say unrealistic. It's just a little I don't know. It, it does it doesn't have the punch. Well, uh, I'm going to um, put in these stakes in the ground because I'd like to camp out here for a little while. And this, I want to, uh, compare, uh, this movie to happiest season because Rachel, can you, can you stop listening for like five minutes? No, I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear, (laughs) I've been thinking about this for a while, but I do think it is really important that we actually have this conversation of com- of the comparison between this film and Happiest Season because there's important similarities and crucial differences that is not always a knock against Happiest Season. Sometimes no. it's a good thing for sure. Happiest Season. So first thing right out of the gate, something that we should definitely always acknowledge is that Happiest Season does break the ground in having the central characters be um, queer characters. Correct. And getting their experience uh, during the holidays, mm-hmm. getting their experience when they're around a lot of straight people and getting what they're feeling. This, what ha- what Family Stone is doing is progressive, but it's not, it wasn't, I mean, it was it was helpful in 2005. Sure. Um, but you have Thad, but he's not the central character. And Patrick. Thad and Patrick are not central to the plot. But, no, but they're just as much characters and well-rounded characters as everybody else. And they definitely get a really f- 
thoughtful focus. And oh my they're gosh. not yeah. pushed to the side. And more so, Susanna's pushed more to the side than they are. Susanna is. Yeah. She's um it's mainly just because she doesn't have she doesn't bring a lot of drama, I yeah. guess. Which is fine. And you can't you can't but she's still a real character with pathos attached to her. But this movie really takes the time to get at Thad and Patrick's experience and gives oh, them and their dignity. baby at the end. So oh. cute. Sorry, spoiler, I guess. The one thing I wanted later in this movie is Thad and Patrick are uh, I think Patrick's turning off the lights in the kitchen and mm-hmm. they're about to leave for the night. And Thad's they just don't kiss. They don't kiss. They don't kiss. We needed yeah. a sexy ass kiss because that's just watching him because he loves him and is just super yeah. attracted to him in that moment. The, and the way I kind of read it is I think their relationship besides Kelly and um and Sybils is the oldest. Yeah. And kind of in a similar way, like they're like kind of like, you know, we don't need to Mac right now because we are we're just chilling, but I wanted it so bad. We really could have used a sexy kiss and or just a regular kiss, any kind of kiss. Oh, but it was such a sexy moment because it's so quiet. You're right. It, after like this house has been so filled with people and they're leaving for the night to go back to their like hotel room because there's just no more room at the end here. And like, it's just such a quiet moment. It's a perfect moment for a kiss if there is one. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I, I've definitely, had those moments where Sarah and I are, <laughs> I hope her parents don't get mad at me. Uh, it's not like we did anything bad, but it would you be- You had sex no. at her parents' house? No, <laughs> but we, it was one of those nights- I'm just joking. You can totally do that. No, but it was one of those nights where we were still dating and uh, we were at her parents' house and we were about to leave, but it was the same thing where- Everyone had gone to bed. We were about to leave, but we were in this big, empty, dark house. Mm-hmm. And we just had a big, sexy kiss there. And it just, the atmosphere just really informed it. And it was one of those things it's where- It's because it's also naughty. Yeah, we're in- I don't, I don't think, I mean- There's something about that. No, there is. There is, for sure. I don't think Thad and Patrick are at that state anymore in their lives. Where... No, no, but you can still have a sexy kiss later in Oh, for in sure. No, no, of course, of course, yeah. of course. I'm- I, I'm not saying that at all, but like but that's the vibe I got. Yeah, but dating and then having a sexy kiss downstairs when like oh, it's much yeah, yeah. easier when you're sure, sure. when you're dating, <laughs> but it's much more important when you're later in a relationship. Yeah, that you yeah, can have that moment. And like we like they're obviously super in love with each other, and they have the healthiest relationship in this movie. <laughs> but except for maybe Kelly and Sybil, they're equal. But you're right. If if this movie was missing anything a step more progressive, it would have given them that. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like it was a big stride. It wasn't like the longest possible stride ever, but mm-hmm. it was a really good, important stride uh, there. Right. But if we're living in this tent for a second while the wind blows over us, the thing I want to bring up, because this is a Christmas family rom-com. Yeah. Right? Which is extremely similar to the Christmas family rom-com structure of... Happy season. Yeah. They're very different at the same time. But I think Robin and I recently watched, um, you know, the the Netflix series, um, The Movies That Made Us? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they're doing Christmas one right now. And we watched the, one, uh, the Elf Christmas one. Because Rachel made you watch it. Because Rachel made us watch it. Thank you. And Rachel, one thing that they said at the end of that movie <laughs> was that um, the studio tried to take it over and re-edit it. But they couldn't because 
John Favreau and all of the rest of the actors and um, crew made it to be a specific way and they made it with love. Mm. Right. And I'm not saying Clea Duvall didn't make her movie with love, but there is something about this movie that I think makes it extremely hard to rewrite because of how good it is and how much care was put into every moment of it. And that is part and parcel to the writing, part and parcel to the directing, but the way that those combine to create characters that are whole human beings and aren't cartoons is something that I think is really important to me as a filmmaker. And so when I see it in a film, it really, it really, I don't know, it gives me such joy for life. Yeah. And that was the thing about happiest season that maybe I judged too harshly that it, it just felt like, and perhaps you're bringing in this, uh, family stone love to that viewing and maybe, you know, that's coloring your point of view for sure. Um, and that's just, I think why I felt so strongly about it because I was, I was wanting like the connections between like Sybil and Thad or, um, Kelly and Susanna, like all of these people have such connection. And if connection is one of the best things that we can find in life and the one of the best things we can find in this genre, why not shoot for that every time? Yeah. So, and maybe, maybe it would have been more fair for us to have compared happiest season and, uh, don't get lost. I'm going to go down this path. Uh, maybe it was more fair to compare it to the Royal Tenenbaums because that's a dysfunctional family movie yeah and and the characters are more flat and those characters all have a problem with the patriarch Mm -hmm. and happiest season the characters have a problem with the patriarch and the matriarch too but it's mostly their father they don't really have a they they don't really have a problem with him until the end of the movie but he is he is the main they're afraid of he is he's the main problem of the film yeah for sure they fear him they're afraid of what he's going to do if they are more emotionally honest (laughs) they're not necessarily afraid of royal tenenbaum they're just mad at him the whole time (laughs) but they got issues sure yeah yeah and no one has like issues in family stone it's just more nuanced well they everybody well everybody kind of has an issue with meredith i would say patrick is the closest person to knowing how to handle meredith like he seems like like a handler, right? Yeah. Where they're, they're cooking and she's, <laughs> she's doing this, um, chopping motion and he's like, Oh, you're okay. really good at that. Huh? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, I think there's like a in-law, um, mutual respect of like, Hey, we don't, there's nothing. Right. We, he's the other outsider in that family. Yeah, yeah. So that's what kind of binds them together. And I think that's why, and that's such a good scene is when she's showing him how to cook this recipe. Mm-hmm. They are getting along where she she gets to actually emote and like explain what she's doing. Uh-huh. And he's just listening to her and being there for her. And he he's is. just like, OK. And I was almost thinking he was making fun of her a little bit, but not in a way that would hurt her feelings at one point in time. Because when she's whipping up the eggs, yeah. I think he was kind of making a sex joke at her. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I could have been reading into that, but I thought that was funny. Either way, it, it works really well. OK, if you want another great Patrick moment, people. When they're um, when she's finishing explaining how her and Everett met, which crosses like twenty different scenes, um, she finishes and it cuts to a shot of Thad and Patrick on the couch, and his eyes don't shift for like five <laughs> seconds, and it's so funny. It's great. They are all great. So happiest season gets this emotional richness between the queer characters. 
yeah. and that's what we liked about the movie. But that's why we felt the movie was well, it's one of the many aspects we loved about it. Yeah. But we thought, okay, that that nailed it. That these that Case do and Aubrey Plaza and Mackenzie Davis, like all of them, we got a lot going on there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We were really disappointed that we didn't get that with the other half of the family because my point of view, and maybe this is unfair to really get into it because it's like we're supposed to be reviewing Family Stone, but again, it's just to say what Family Stone is doing right is it doesn't give any nuance to the straight characters, and, and like I, but this is crucial. It is, but I I don't think that it necessarily matters whether they're straight or gay in that regard. They're just the other characters. I guess that's just how I'm demarcating okay. who's who. Like, sure. for some reason, uh, character A, B, and C were enriched, but D, E, F were not. Right. <laughs> so I don't mean it necessarily that way. But sure. we have half the cast that doesn't get the same emotional attention. Sure. Whereas in this film. Everybody does. does. And most crucially, Sarah Jessica Parker does. And and like that can did you know that every single character with a name in this movie has a last name? Oh. Susanna has the last name Toulouse. Um David, the other EMT, has a last name. Wow. In the credits. Like it's just it's obvious that Mr. Bazooka thinks that all these people are worthwhile. Have lives. Yeah. So the crucial thing about uh, Meredith's Sarah Jessica Parker, mm-hmm. what's crucial about her is we get the scene with her at the bar with Luke Wilson. He tells her to relax. He gets her to unwind. And she has lines like, I love the gays. And we start to get to know who she really is and see the person behind these seemingly really ignorant words. And that dinner table scene where she's just going on and on and on in this really ignorant tirade of like, well, you wouldn't want your kid to be gay, right? And she just kind of goes on about it. That felt so, I'm not going to speak for you, but I feel like I've been at those conversations in my life where I'm just like, you're saying ignorant things and now I kind of have to gently work with you and have you understand the like really under get you to understand what you're saying because what you're saying is coming across like this and we don't we in in happiest season we just get some like offhand lines right i mean and that's it happiest season they have some kind of line of like oh such a terrible lifestyle choice or something like that and it's just like you can't just throw that out there and we're supposed to get exactly what you mean by that because it's really vague it's really homophobic it's really ignorant and i don't know what i'm supposed to get about you but i feel like yeah i don't know what i'm supposed to feel like later on in the movie i don't know what i'm supposed to feel about you but let's i think what you're getting at is like in happiest season there's a turn for the parents right where they both say oh we're going to accept our daughter uh, for who she is and her relationship. And the dad ends up picking it over political advancement. Yeah. And that is the turn that happens like in the last minute of the movie. Now, what this movie does is it gives Sarah Jessica Parker an extra 25 minutes at the end of the movie to prove to us that she's more than just that person. And she's not the person who makes what seemed to have made those ignorant remarks. Uh, the words were stupid. And it allows the family to give them, give her grace. Yeah. Because like they don't have to, 
But I mean, they could have just thrown her out of the house if they wanted to at that point. Yeah. But they choose through Luke Wilson, like even Kelly shows up trying to find her later that night. And he, even though he was the one who was like most mad about what she was saying, he is there to apologize to her for yelling at her. Yeah. And I I feel like I don't know how similar your dad Shannon would be to Kelly, but I can always, I can't picture your dad not being relational. Like he says stuff from like, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. But he seems, I don't know if he would run to a hotel to apologize to someone, but he seems like a relational person too, where it's like these arguments are kind of stupid sometimes. And like, let's not let them define our relationship. I think at the end of the night, and I hope that I, you know, emulate this as well at the end of the night, you want things patched up. And I think, yeah, my dad's that kind of person. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what we love about family is like, we have these stupid arguments and these stupid conversations and they can come across as kind of irreparable. Right. And that's the, again, the magic trick of this movie, right? Where we have a situation that seems unrepairable. Yeah. Like I don't know how Everett, because Thad, remember that scene earlier in the movie where Thad and Everett go out to the ring shop after um, Sybil says she's not going to give him the ring. And uh, Thad is just like, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Like he's he is already not on board. And then like Meredith is that bad to Thad later on. Rather unintentional, I guess, but still in a really hurtful way. Like for someone to get over that in a normal family, it could if you have the wrong person on the other side could take years. Yeah. And so is the relationship worth it at that point in time? And I, I think at the end of that dinner table, I think Everett's done. Yeah. Yeah. I, which I, we can see because he wants to sleep with her sister, which yeah. we haven't talked about yet. But I, I think what I respect most about this film is this more communal shot in the arm of like, Hey, I know you just want to write people off and I know it's easier to write people off and just to be done with them, mm-hmm. but we're stuck in this world with each other and we got to figure out how to work with each other. Yeah. And you can't just assume someone's worst words and assume that's who they are. You, right. you have to work and it sucks. I know it sucks, but you got to work at, which is why I want this guy to make are. more movies because if that's your, you don't have to make a movie about that every single time you make a movie, but if that's your, if that's your intent, if that's kind of like your ethic, I want more movies by people like that. Yeah, because I, I don't want to rag on Happiest Season, but Happiest Season feels in a way that says like, you know what, if they don't support you, fuck them. And it's just kind of like, we can't live like that. Well, I mean, you can. like You can. Th- th- at a certain point in time, I, I, I'm, I'm more of the idealist than you, I feel like. But I, at a certain point in time, I can turn to a friend and say, this relationship is really poisonous to you. And if it doesn't change on one person's end, it's not good for you to be in it anymore. Right. But what this movie, what this movie presupposes is maybe it isn't. (laughs) And I I really do want to believe in that. I I try to believe in that more often than not. And I, I do think it's really important that we, we have an obligation to each other as human beings to try to, to try to say like, Hey, I want to understand you, but I need you to try to understand me. I don't know. I just feel like this movie has the attitude that I aspire to have that I want to have. I think, I think this movie is while, while it's one of my favorite things is like, we kind of went hard on, um, Alison Bree's character from happiest season where Mm -hmm. she's, 
a little bit one dimensional and she's kind of angry or a little mean most of the film. And you can have a character like that. I, I don't think any of these characters are necessarily perfect, but if you look at like Luke Wilson, Meredith Everett, um, Amy and Sybil, they're all complicated human beings mm-hmm. and they're not perfect. And we, we are okay with that and we still want to love them. And I think that's what this movie is saying is people aren't perfect. And if you take the time to make them feel comfortable, they might feel less ignorant of you, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) And your feelings as well. And that creates connection. I will play devil's advocate for a second because I do feel like maybe we're being a little over optimistic about this film because the film is very, um, Norman Rockwell in the ending where everything pretty much works out for everybody. Right. Everybody's Uh, together with somebody. Yeah. You know, Claire Danes and Everett, they get together. Which I I believe mainly because like they have this scene at the end where he chases after her on a bus or before she gets on the bus. And then she's like, no, sorry, I can't be with you. And then she gets off. And instead of saying, all right, I'll come home with you guys. She says, what are you doing for New Year's? which I think is really crucial to us getting over that, that leap of believing that they'll be able to be together. Yeah. Because when we see them together later on in the movie, I'm like, okay, they spent some time dating before they brought her home for Christmas. Yeah, it wasn't this like unbelievable Hugh Grant, Andy McDowell. Oh, is it still raining? I hadn't noticed. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 um, so everyone's together. And we're saying, see, if you just work it out with one another, everyone will understand each other. Both you and I know that that's not true. I think this is a unique situation. But the film is saying, pursue this attitude. You're not going to get perfect results every time. But you could get, like, this could happen. They're, They're saying the opportunity for this is out there. But it's somehow not excluding the the flip side of the idea of, like, Look, sometimes there are people that you just can't be in relationship with. Right. And there's no person in this movie that that represents. And so perhaps I can see someone being turned off by the film in the sense of it feels a little too cookie cutter in the end. Sure. For me, it feels earned. Me too. Um, but I can also understand that it feels a little a little Hollywood optimism where mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't always go that way. And both parties can work really hard in a relationship and it can still not end with a happy ending where they're together. And it's like, that's definitely true. So we definitely acknowledge that we're not in La La Land where if you just work really hard, it'll all work out. Right. Um, I think it takes a unique set of people with a high degree of patience and a willingness. And it can't always work out, but this time it definitely did. This time it does. I think that's the thing is like this time it does. And it's how... It's not like Sarah was like this time is like my only time with Sarah, but there's something about marrying her was part of that idea of, I know she'll always be working with me. I know that she'll always give me the benefit of the doubt that she'll always trust me or try. I feel like we've talked all about your relationship and I feel really guilty. Well, feel free. Well, yeah. Let your freak flag fly. Yeah. Robin and I too. (laughs) Well, 
Give me your version of you and Robin. You're, you're, me and Sarah is not like me and Robin. No. Me and Robin are totally different. Sometimes this podcast turns into Ryan bragging about how good his relationship you is. You have a great relationship with Robin. She's <laughs> awesome. She knows it. I don't need to say it. <sighs> Do um, you want me to brag about Robin for you? No. What we need to talk about is just the end bit of this movie where uh, Meredith, like the other, the other thing that she does that kind of forgives her in some small way is she thinks she slept with Luke Wilson, but she didn't. And there's so many funny moments in this movie. People just go watch it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can't describe all of them, but she gives the present of a picture of Sybil pregnant with Amy to everybody. And it's a great present to give. Um, but she thinks it's uh, Dermot Mulroney in utero, which that's not actually, that's Diane Keaton, but she was never had kids. And so they did like some manipulation to the photo to make her. Yeah. Uh, have a belly, but the way that makes Rachel McAdams cry is a magic trick Mm -hmm. because she has no reason to like her until this moment, but it shows you how much she cares about her mom being that close to dying. And you wrap it all around to the end where the last shot is a reflection of Rachel McAdams in the portrait that Meredith gives to the rest of the family, right? Mm-hmm. And she she's the last one putting um, a bobble on the Christmas tree, and it's the same one that Meredith was holding at the beginning, or that mm-hmm. Sybil was holding at the beginning. Man, would like, I want to watch Family Stone <laughs> two in twenty five years? Right, I, I'm I I want to make a case that this movie might need to be revisited. I, it doesn't need to be because it's kind of a perfect movie as it is, but there's so much rich subtext there. I say we go to Tom Bazooka and be like, look, whatever you did was great, but we think we've got something here. So with your with your honor, we would like to proceed on the sequel. Gosh, I I I would we'd need to feel like there would need to be something where we could get over our own nervousness because I feel like that would be like holding a, a crystal chandelier in your hands and like I can't drop this, otherwise the whole thing will smash to the ground. Um yeah. Man, I would just be like Turk from Scrubs and just walk in with like sweat and confidence. Like, exactly. Mm, 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 <laughs> like mm, mm. we're making this movie. <laughs> you can't stop us, but please Wait, help us. Uh, <laughs> That's what you get, Carla. <laughs> That's what you get when you mess with the warrior. Exactly. You need okay. Turk's confidence. Right. Exactly. Okay. Ryan, we've talked this movie up so much. What kind of rom-com Oscar? I am in a pickle because I've given away this Oscar. Sounds briny. Yeah, I've given away this Oscar. So I'm going to have to uh, alt-click and drag this Oscar. That's a Photoshop process. Is it going to be the third time that he's done this? <laughs> Probably. Is it writing? Yeah. This is the third movie Wait, that you've given writing as good to. as it gets, this one. And what was the other one? I thought Harry Met Sally. Maybe. We'll have to... We'll do a catalog where I'll go through yeah. and find all of them. Um, best best writing. Yeah. Just best writing. Um, wow. So I gave, um, in Kelly's abstract, there's no grades at this school style Oscars, I gave About Time Most Magical. Yeah. But you used magical a lot in this podcast. I did, but I think I'm going to give this most thoughtful film. Uh, more thoughtful just, than before sunrise i really do like okay. th- that's more philosophical like this is more thoughtful 
And someday we'll get to a more cognitive one. Well, okay. I If somebody gives me a card, I'm not... That's very philosophical of you. <laughs> I mean, thoughtful in the caring kind of way. Right, right. Where... And this just kind of comes to the writing, but I want to call it like a top-down, Michael London-produced, Tom Bazooka-written and directed. I'm really sorry if that's not how you pronounce your name, sir. But um, We mean it as a compliment. We do. Mr. You, bazooka. You, he, he took his bazooka and he cradled it on his shoulder, put all of his care and love into this film. And I'm going to shoot you with my love. Like, down to all the details we've talked about, like with uh, Rachel McAdams holding the same... Ornament. Ornament. Or um, Michael Giacchino doing, like, the score. Everett's arm, at one point in time, like, Meredith won't stop telling the story of how they got together. And he does this thing with his arm where he just, like, like moves it to try to stop her, but he knows that he shouldn't. And (laughs) just go back and watch. I didn't notice it. Now I gotta watch it again. He, like... like, gets closer and closer to her and then he finally puts it around her as he's trying to like just shut her up without doing anything to shut her up and it feels like every moment had a moment to see in this movie which makes it endlessly rewatchable to me and so for me it's the most thoughtful film that we've seen so Mm -hmm. far i think i already know the answer to this as always but i want to talk about who you would fall in love with are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends. The truth of it is, I loved you from the first second I met you. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, and love, and love you. I know. Definitely, definitely Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay, I thought so. Um, just because she lets her freak flag fly and you kind of like that? Well, even when in the first half, when she hasn't let her freak flag fly, I'm so glad that I've had to say freak flag fly. Yeah, you're getting better at it. Yeah. Um, Freak flag fly. Okay. Her (laughs) uptight stuff when she's like that, it's not that I like her uptight. Just tight. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm attracted to to this I don't know how to say this without sounding like a chauvinistic ass I'm going to say it don't judge me there's something precious about her in the first half no I get that where you're holding her and you really want to keep her safe because she always looks like she's going to break yeah yeah no I get I get that I think I think Luke Luke Wilson sees that too Mm -hmm. and it's not that we want them to stay precious it's almost like the opposite of like, don't worry, you're okay, you're safe. Okay, I want to bring up something here okay. because you know how you don't understand how women can like the bad boy? This is the same thing, but in reverse. Uh, where she likes the good boy? I don't follow. No, where you like the precious oh, breakable sure, girl and you sure. just, it's its not that you want to keep her that way. It's that you want to change her and let her freak flag fly. It's the same exact thing on the other side where, oh, I don't want you to stay the bad boy. I want you to become the good boy because of me. So <laughs> Rory Gilmore wants to reform Jess. I don't think she wants to reform Jess. I think that's that's just playing with that trope. I don't know if it's playing with it. I think I, I I understand it theoretically that the girl likes the bad boy type. 
and I and I guess I'm I'm still just trying. I'm just I'm I'm asking to help me understand. Is that I will I will I will cop to this. Yes, I like Sarah Jessica Parker partly because of that preciousness, and partly because I want to be the Luke Wilson in her life to help her freak flag fly. Okay, I love it. But you're are you saying that's equal to the 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 girl wanting to reform the bad boy? Yeah, it's akin. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to feel bad about it. And they don't have to feel bad about liking Jess. Nobody has to feel bad about liking Jess. Team Logan. The scene, it's one of the best scenes in the film, I think, uh, where towards the end of the film, Luke Wilson is laying on his bed and Sarah Jessica Parker has like fully committed into being with Luke Wilson after she's cleaned all of the um, strata off of her, which tasty, but smells bad. Yeah. She curls up on him and you can just see how she like kind of melts into him and she is, is, has let all of her tightness go in a way that is, it's attractive, not like physically attractive. It's seeing the two of them together. You're like, yes, I want a relationship like that. Mm -hmm. And when he looks up at the ceiling and they're just watching the snow fall in shadows on the ceiling, um, he says, she, they start singing um, Joy, Joy to the, the world. world. What is the line he repeats? Repeat the sounding joy. And there's something about an Owen Brothers... Wow. Yeah, accent that is just so good. And I don't think anybody else could have delivered that line that well. Uh, it's It's just struck me that Luke Wilson is both in this film and the Royal Tenenbaums, and they're so much different and similar about them at the same time. It's just kind of, it boggles the mind. (laughs) Um, Who would I fall in love with, Ryan? It's either got to be Luke Wilson or Sybil. Like, cause I like, I like Amy Adams and maybe Amy Adams by the end of this movie, but that's cool. But what about Rachel McAdams? Sorry, fucking shit. It's because her name in the... Anyway, you know it. You get it, people. I think, as much as I want to say Luke Wilson, I think Sybil. Um, she's got a sassiness that I don't mind, and I just love how she like has these rules, like no smoking pot in the house, and she can hug people right afterwards. Mm-hmm. And... She's really strong for her family, like that that time when Kelly and her are in bed together, and she's just talking about how she just wants everybody to be okay, and she's like Kelly can just see that she is worried about everybody being okay after she's gone. It's so tragic, but there's such like strength in her in her sadness and her care, and like she just like opens up her shirt and shows where she's had the it's not vasectomy what is it uh, mastectomy mastectomy thank you yeah i'm going to go sybil she deserves it diane keaton deserves an oscar nod for this film yep yeah and so does sarah jessica parker yeah i think i think everybody was really good but especially those two yeah yeah shoot man that was such a good movie what a good movie uh well what are we watching next week Oh, I didn't get to talk about this in front of before the show, but I think we should just have an on-air production meeting. Um, do you want to have an on-air production meeting? Oh, sure. I think, let's see, this is coming out this Sunday. It will be the, today's the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th? 
and then the twentieth is one the next one. So yeah. it'll be the the one right before Christmas. I say we do White Christmas. The, the, on the twentieth? Yeah. White Christmas. Yeah. A classic. Yeah. I think I think they deserve it. I think they deserve a classic. And if you're not watching White Christmas before Christmas, I think this is just another reason for them having to watch White Christmas before Christmas. Okay. Let's do it then. White Christmas. White Christmas it is. Um, another movie about two couples. Oh. Uh, and there's not four Christmases. There's one. Thank God there's not four Christmases. If, if It's a white one. If there was anything that I don't want to do again for the next five Christmases. Just to have four of them. Oh, I mean, I just don't want to watch that movie again. You know, there's been few movies in our our podcast that I won't watch again. Four Christmases is one of them. I'm just so glad that I checked it out. I'm like, nope, no one's missing anything. It's cool. We're good. I'm glad that we could give our unrecommendation. (laughs) Our recommendation is good as our unrecommendation. Our recommendation is that you don't watch this. But you know what? I, I, I really, I don't want to toot our own horn. But I'm gonna. Boop, boop. I do think sounds dirty. <laughs> I like that we're doing this and we're saying we're gonna unrecommend this and recommend that. Um, but we still get into it where it's like, look, it wasn't for us, but we've described all the things going on. Maybe that's appealing to you. Maybe you like this kind of comedy. It wasn't for us, but we we still laid it out on the line that if you're curious, we 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 covered it. We'll see if <laughs> we'll see if anybody's still listening to our podcast on this episode. <laughs> But I kind of need someone to do this for current film culture because I feel like there's so many movies coming out on all these different streaming platforms that right. I cannot keep up with them. Right. Like it was easier to keep up on when there was like some stuff on streaming and I'm like, okay, I can check that out. And then other stuff in the theater. But it's just, it's too much. There's a bunch of movies on Netflix. There's a bunch of movies on Hulu. There's a bunch of movies on Amazon Prime. And now there's going to be a bunch of movies on HBO Max, and I'm not happy about that. <laughs> well, uh, we got an email the other day where somebody said that they really love when we love a movie. And so I, I hope we made them happy today. Yeah. Yeah. If for some reason you thought this was a zany comedy and you want to let us know what you thought about this movie, or if you just wanted to like heap a praise on like a scene that we missed talking about and it's your favorite scene... Go ahead and let us know. Contact us on Facebook. Contact us on Instagram at romcomgents or email us at romcomgents at gmail.com. And if you want to do a rebuttal to Rachel's rebuttal that just backs her rebuttal up no, and goes against no, us, no, feel free. We are no, we, are, we can we're write not, us. Hold on. You can. You can write us, but we're not going I'm not gonna set a precedent where everybody gets to um you get a vocalize you get a rebuttal and no. you get a rebuttal rachel's a special case because she's a special friend uh we can we can talk about other people writing to us but i'm not having other people <laughs> dominate the podcast no but we are we will respond to you and if you want to keep the conversation going we are totally game to oh yeah to write essay length emails because it's um it's it's fun we'll have a long conversation and be graceful about it yeah yeah just like this family we're gonna try as we can to be our darndest yeah Yeah. um well i don't think there's anything else well in that case i just want to say i see you in the light of empathetic light and i see you for all that you are and i still think that you are lovely just lovely i have to say just lovely (laughs) wow hugh grant came in there at the end um Ryan, I just want to let you know that your fruit flag's flying, and I fucking love it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <clears throat>
man. And this is where we will say oh, goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. Okay, hold on. I'm still adjusting myself. Okay, but I'll keep entertaining the troops. Um... <clears throat> Spin it, let's begin it better and grin it when you're in it. You can win it in a minute if you spin it, spin it, spin it. Do, do, do. Tailspin. <laughs> there you go.